it's a reminder that that life is precious and sometimes those little moments that we have every day that we take for granted we shouldn't because they might seem in insignificant at the time but later in life those are the moments that we look back on and say gee that was so special that we got to share that with that person or you know whether it was you know blowing out a, the candles on a birthday cake or running around the backyard with your nieces and nephews or um you know, playing in a, a local tennis competition and winning a grand final. You know, all of those those sort of little things that you you kind of take for granted. Um, the conversations at the water cooler every day when you go to get your, your pieces of paper off the printer and you bump into a colleague who you really admire and you sit there and you have a chat about what you got up to on the weekend. They seem like, seem like little things at the time, but in the context of life, they're little big things. Hello beautiful people, on today's podcast we have the wonderful Shane McCurry. Shane is a highly sought after consultant in the areas of culture, leadership and performance. What I personally love about this conversation is Shane's genuine character and authenticity. We discuss the importance of human connection and relationship based coaching. We speak about identity and how what you do is not who you are and we speak about the importance of vulnerability and storytelling. We then move into the space of ultramarathon running and discuss how this endurance sport influences you to become more of yourself and provides the opportunity to contribute by helping others around you to flourish. Please enjoy this really lovely conversation with Shane McCurry. Welcome to the podcast, Shane. Thanks, Jenna Louise. It's uh, good to, to jump on and have a chat. Looking forward to it. Sounds wonderful. So where I want to start, Shane, uh, is with a quote that I read in an article that you were featured in. And you shared, one of the key philosophies that we encourage teams to reflect on is that everything starts with connection. So it got me curious, Shane. And I started thinking, when was it in your own personal life that you began to come to the realization just how important connection is. <laughs> Gee, you st you've started with the curly ones early on in the piece, Jim Louise. Um, We're going to dive really, in. <laughs> really thrown me. Uh, I, I mean, it felt like I love that quote, and I do believe that everything starts with connection. Um, and there's a guy who I rate very highly. He's a leader in a sporting environment. Um, a general manager of footy at uh, at Richmond um, Footy Club, which is one of the main clients I work with, and um, Tim Livingston is his name. And, and Tim's got a quote that he, I think, he kind of used back around 2017, which was that people people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. <laughs> and I don't know whether it was his original quote or whether he took that from someone else, but it's always stuck with me in the context of great environments, whether that's you know a, a sporting environment, whether that's a workplace environment, whether that's a community environment, um, whether that's a family environment, but just that in investment in one another. Like it's not so much, you know, uh, how smart you are, how much money you earn, what sort of car you drive. It's much more about the investment that you've got in one another. So I think that that quote really highlights the power of connection and, um, and what makes great teams great. But if I think back to when I first sort of gravitated towards connection as a theme, and this might seem a bit bizarre, but I was quite young 
And as a young boy growing up in country Victoria, you, you love sport. It's a big part of your upbringing. Right. And um, you try a bit of everything. So you try a bit of footy, a bit of tennis, a bit of cricket, a bit of golf. And I loved sport. It wasn't so much playing sport. It was more kind of the camaraderie and the togetherness that was associated with team sports. And I loved cricket. Um, I'm not, uh, I wasn't never a great cricketer as a player, but I loved the sport of cricket. And I still remember probably when I was about, nine or ten, uh, mum bought me for Christmas one year this uh, book. It was like a cricket yearbook, a reflection on the year in, in cricket around the world and must have been in the bargain bin at the bookshop and she <laughs> bought it for me. It was a whole heap of pictures just of different cricket teams around the world. And I remember that book had a lot of the West Indies in it, the West Indies cricket team, and that was back in, I'm showing my age a little bit, but that was back in the kind of early to mid-1990s when they were incredibly successful. And I remember reading that book and looking at those pictures of this team and thinking, yeah, they've just got it, they seem to have got, they've got it right. Like they're high performers at the elite level, at the very kind of pinnacle of their sport. But at the same time, they're, uh, they're having fun as well too. You know, they're, they're drinking beer, they're, they're having a laugh. Um, they're very flamboyant with what they wear on the, on the cricket field. And I think the story goes that, you know, after the West Indies played an opponent, they, whether win, lose or draw, they'd turn up in their opposition's change rooms with a slab of beer after the match wow. uh, because that was what was important to them from a sportsmanship viewpoint. So when I think about connection and kind of gravitating towards connection as a key theme, early doors, the West Indies is is an example that comes to mind, uh, which might seem a bit bizarre, but that's that's probably the first one I think of. Um, another one would probably be my, my grandmother and uh, uh, Jean, um, uh, my, my, my father's mum. She was just a, a, a terrific uh, giving person and she was very heavily involved in the, the church community growing up in the country and um, I think she was the secretary of St Vincent de Paul Society in Victoria for, for close to 50 years in the region wow. um, back home in the country. So always very kind of, kind of uh, committed to doing things for others and so if, if we kind of gravitate away from sport and towards connection from a sort of community viewpoint, I think Nana was probably always one of those people that I looked to and um, – admired for just the investment and care that she had in the people around her in her community. So, um, yeah, there are a couple of little stories there that might shed light on that question perhaps. I love it. It's very beautiful. I'd love to explore this theme deeper with you because I know that it's so important in the consultancy and the coaching that you do. And I'd love to kind of explore with you more sort of tactical coaching versus relationship Based coaching and the impact that that does have on teams that you've seen. Yeah, it's. I mean, it isn't. It's emerging an emerging area. Uh, I think mm -hmm. what we're seeing is that there's a new generation of coaches that are coming through, who uh, and there's a new generation of athletes that are coming through who are needing to be understood in different ways and are needing to be motivated and um, driven in different ways as well too and. Uh, now, there's a guy I really admire over in the States. His name's uh, Joe Ehrman. He's a former linebacker in the NFL uh, and uh, kind of played in the 1970s, I think, 1970s, 1980s, then went on to coach. And uh, Joe talks about the difference between a, a transactional coach and a transformational coach. And mm -hmm. I, I love that kind of thinking in terms of 
it's all well and good to be someone who understands the tactics of any given field, whether that's a sporting coach or whether that's a, a CEO in a business context. It's all well and good to kind of know the nuts and bolts of the technical side of what you do. But the more important aspect in the context of leadership is always going to be, do you know your people? Do you know what makes them tick? And are you able to support their growth as leaders so that they can execute the plan that you develop together as a group uh, in order to bring that to life? So I do encourage coaches, if they feel like they're more of a transactional coach, that's okay because Mm -hmm. you need the balance of both. But trying to add layers to your coaching so that you can take more of a transformational approach. Um, and that might feel uncomfortable at first when you've got to start to try and do some of those things that feel a bit less comfortable. But uh, it's really important in the context of growth and development as a coach is if you're expecting your athletes or your athlete uh, or your employees to uh, push themselves to do what they do, then you need to be seen to be pushing yourself as well too, I think, um, so that there's not double standards at play. And uh and so, yeah, that, that, that's, that's probably kind of one of the main differences I'm seeing all around the world, particularly in Australia, which is always tends to be quite progressive in that sporting landscape, um, but, but all around the world as well too, yeah. And what is the impact that you've seen from sort of, you know, being more progressive in terms of like taking that relationship-based coaching in line with the tactical approach? What is the impact on performance that you've personally seen? Oh, I think there's a a really good, strong case there, uh, plenty of cases there in recent years where you've seen teams or organisations that have invested heavily in their people in that regard and have seen seen great results um, out the other side. So particularly over the last couple of years, I think when we've been so separated, disjointed, disconnected, people have been – I think some organisations – probably that weren't as focused on the well-being of their people previously have have been called upon to be more focused on that going forward and i think that, that that's nothing other than a good thing what we've seen is that the the leaders who have been doing it for a very very long time have kind of consolidated their competitive advantage in that space and the rest are still catching up so there's still that gap between the best and the rest but I think that that uh, investment in your people as people first and foremost and as professional second is something that, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a real shift in that space at the moment, which is great, um, which is a good thing, you know, off, off the back of uh, what's been a, a challenging couple of years for, for everyone. And I know that you focus on identity in terms of mindset and to my understanding, you're quite well-known in your area of expertise in relation to AFL teams, your work with AFL teams. And I've heard you share sort of focusing on, you know, the sport that you do, for example, let's kind of span this out to the career that you do. You know, it's what you do. It's not who you are. Can you Mm. sort of share more about that insight? Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? (laughs) Ash Barty's been such a great example of that just in the last couple of weeks and the success that she's had, I think people gravitate towards her because she is such a relatable person and she's just got a really good grasp on who she is. Now, that's taken her a lot of work and many, many years of um, kind of introspection, self-reflection, blood, sweat and tears to get to that point. But the fact that she's kind of been on that journey of looking looking inside first um, is, is, is kind of a – 
uh, you know, a, a case study that we should look at very carefully in the context of what we can all learn from that, you know. And what I've seen is, is that when you start, particularly when you carve out a, a, an elite sporting career, is people come into elite sport at a very young age. So in an AFL context or uh, NRL context, for example, a, a player might come in, a male players or, or female players can come in at around 17, 18 years of age into the elite programs. It's very young. It's very young and you're still maturing. In a lot of respects, you're still kind of at the back end of adolescence. So you really don't know who you are. You've just come out of school. In some cases, you might still be at school. <laughs> and so you're still forming your identity and who you are. And, you know, I think that the more that sporting organisations can actually create a program whereby you don't just become a better footballer or a better netball or a better basketball or a better runner, but you actually become a better person in the process of being involved with that program. They're the programs that tend to be developing the competitive advantage at the moment. Um, Now, it's easier said than done. It takes a lot of hard work from a lot of different people from varying fields across those programs. It's the coaches, it's the strength and conditioning staff, it's the medical staff, it's the wellbeing and development staff. Uh, it's the career and education staff. It's the psychologists. Um, it's the culture and leadership staff. There's all of these different fields that are represented in a modern day sporting environment, um, and they're very sophisticated environments. So they've got the benefit of having lots of great people. the The key is bringing all of those people together to say, well, what, how can we create a program that helps accelerate the growth and development of of our athletes from right whether they're 17 or 18 or whether they're kind of 30 and and they're in the back end of their career, that we've got a little bit of something for everyone uh, and we can help cater for their needs regardless of what stage of the life cycle that they might be at. Um, And and that can be as simple as, you know, reflecting on your story. So giving them that, encouraging them from from that starting point to actually reflect on who they are, uh, where they've come from, where they're at and where they'd like to get to. Because to ask a young 17-year-old, you know, what's what's your purpose in life or what's your why, <laughs> it's a pretty big question. It's a big I mean, ask, I, yeah. I'm not sure about you, Jenna Louise, but I'm still working mine yeah, out. Yeah, no. So uh, I, I think yeah, it's wishful thinking to expect that everyone will know that from the start. It's another thing to be able to break it down into more manageable bite-sized chunks and give people the space to reflect on how their story, how that resonates with their story. Uh, and how they can you know best bring that to life. Um, even even something as simple as just reflecting on you know when when you leave the room, what do you want people to say about you? You know, I think that that at a micro level is really important. Is you know the type of person that you want to be. Um, less so what you want to be doing in ten years time or twenty years time. It's a little bit more about the type of person that you want to be right now in right the present. Now. Um, mm-hmm. And we can all benefit from a bit more of that that self reflection, um, me included. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And I love that you brought up Ash Barty and, and this idea of owning your story. I know that her mindset coach, Ben Crow, I was very fortunate to be mentored by him. Um, and he's had profound changes on my life. And we actually did an exercise in relation to the very thing that you're talking about, Shane, and sort of going back in this idea of owning your story, even just becoming aware of like, you know, our subconscious identifications with, you know, moments in our life that you might not be aware of, that you still now define yourself so much by and how some are very empowering, but some are very disempowering and the power and actually the awareness of that and having that more conscious decision, okay, 
Like, do I need to hold on to that or am I going to take ownership of that story in terms of how I move forward? And I know, Shane, you know, you speak about um, the big five, which is made up of purpose, authenticity, vulnerability, connection, and storytelling. And I actually, I love that you've mentioned this because I really want to explore storytelling with you, Shane. Can you talk to me more about what you've witnessed in the power of storytelling for not only sort of the athletes, but the coaches, and I guess like everyone in general. Yeah, I, the, I mean, all of those things are very important. And you mentioned mm. Ben Crow. I mean, Crow has been a, he's a good friend and and um, and colleague, and you know he's he's done an incredible amount of um, positive work over the last few mm. years. But the the benefit that someone like Crowy brings to what he does is that he's seen so many different athletes over a really long period of time, even going back into the earlier parts of his career. And he's seen some athletes succeed and he's seen some athletes uh, fail, if you like, or, or, or go off the rails for a period of time and then have to find their way back on again. And I think what we're seeing, you know, and I, and I think I think that this is a, a sign of hopefully where we're heading uh, as a sporting industry, but maybe as society at large, is that we used to sort of try to shy away from the things that didn't go well <laughs> and push them into the background or distance ourselves from them or be, be ashamed of them. But what we're seeing now is that, you know, if, if those things have happened to you, whatever they may be, then they're part of your story and you may like to include them as part of your story going forward. You don't have to, of course, but... Um, they're, they're things that have happened to you. They're things that have shaped you. Um, they're things that have evolved your experience and perspective on life. So yeah, not, not being ashamed of those things, but trying to build them into who you are and have them help you carve the path for what comes next, I think can't be anything other than a bad thing. So so that's the first thing. The second thing is the storytelling is kind of multifaceted. You know, when I talk about storytelling, like there's that first bit that I mentioned around who you are, like what's your story, but then there's the element around the leaders in the environment that you're a part of. How do they use storytelling to connect with people? I think we're, we live in this we live in this world that has so much data and statistics and numbers and reams and reams of uh, information. Sometimes. A story is the best way to actually cut through of all that noise and articulate a complex point in a really simple way. And so a lot of the work that, that uh, I do is encouraging coaches and leaders to use more stories as part of the way that they lead. So, so I guess going back, the first one is your story, like connecting with your story and bringing a more authentic version of yourself to everyday life. The second part is the leaders and the coaches, if you like, uh, in the environment using more stories as part of the way they connect with their people. And then the third part, which I really love, is, is the fact that when you come together in a team environment, you, you've each got an individual story, but then together as a group, you create a new story together as a team. Mm -hmm. And so that Beautiful. piece around the evolving story of your team or your department or your organisation like that that's a really powerful story in itself. And and so I think referring to yourself as a story and talking about the types of characters you have in that story and talking about the, the beginning and the middle and the end that you're aspiring to have uh, and seeing those little trials and tribulations that tend to happen over the course of um, a typical year or season or competition or event, seeing those those trials and tribulations as part of the story of the team, I think, is a great way of um, building camaraderie. Uh, you're finding perspective, 
and uh, giving you ability to, you know, sort of review your performance as well too and plan for what comes next. So so that's um yeah, that that's sort of the, the different elements of storytelling and the way that I can you know, way that I see that they can be beneficial to people, not just individually, but also collectively, uh, you know, for, for businesses or, or sports or, um, or or teams. Yeah. And I know in relation to storytelling, uh, you at times share a quote from Brene Brown and she says, if you don't own your story, your story will own you. And so I want to go a little bit more personal with you, Shane, because I heard you share a, quite a vulnerable uh, story on another podcast and I thought it was really beautiful. And you shared it in relation to a friend of yours, Neil Danaher. And you were you sort of shared that you were talking to him at a point in your life about some of your insecurities um, around sort of, you know, the area that you were working in and that some people had, you know, specific degrees that you didn't have. And you were kind of questioning this idea of, you know, who you were in your role of success. And he turned around to you and he said, that's not the reason that you won't. That's the reason that you will. That is your story. And I love that. I loved hearing that. And I would love, Shane, if you could elaborate more on that moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a very special moment. And and I, I get a little bit emotional just even <laughs> thinking back because it was it was a long time ago now, but mm-hmm. it still feels like yesterday in a lot of respects. Uh, you know, I've been pretty fortunate over my life to have you know, worked under and alongside a lot of fantastic people and great leaders. And and Neil was one of those. Um, we, we shared an office at the AFL for a little while. Um, Neil was the CEO of the Coaches Association at the time. Um, it was before he went across to West Coast. Uh, and and um, I was only a young guy then, you know, probably early 20s from the country. Never played the game of AFL footy at the highest level, never coached at the highest level, but had um, worked at the highest level of the game since I was, you know, 17 out of year 12. So I, uh, I, I probably had some insecurities around, you know, um, if I'm wanting to carve out a career path in professional sport, if you haven't actually done it at the elite level, do you deserve to be there? Right. <laughs> and I think that's a natural question you probably ask yourself. It's probably the mm. same as a first-time athlete coming into an environment and saying, well, I've, I've got to prove, prove myself. I've got to earn my stripes kind of thing. So you do that in different ways. But you know, I was sharing some of those insecurities with, with or fears, if you like, or, or apprehension, you know, with Neil one night over a beer on a Friday night, as we'd often do, and and he did say that to me. You know, he said that that's not why you won't make it, Shane. That's why you will, and that was his way of encouraging me to see that you know, don't focus on what you haven't done or what you haven't got right. or your limitations. Focus on what you can do and your strengths. You know, and I think that that's the whole the whole positive psychology movement that we've, we've seen over the last 10, 15, 20 years is that, you know, it used to be about what was wrong with a person and, and their deficiencies and let's try and fix that. But now it's much more around, well, let's zero in on someone's strengths. And even from a self-esteem viewpoint, I mean, you know how easy it is to get stuck in that trap of, of dwelling on, you know, what you haven't done or what you've mucked up or the mistakes that you've made, but it's much harder sometimes to actually focus on the stuff that you're doing well. So, right. so yeah, that was a pretty special moment. And, and Neil, um, I mean, he's just an incredible person who's just, uh, you know, created a, a um, you know, helped to tr- try to improve the quality of life of so many people, you know, after his MND diagnosis. A good friend of mine from um, school in the country, uh, Stephen Donnett, his his mother um, Gina, she passed away from MND. Uh, probably would have been a couple of years after Neil was diagnosed, 
And then another close friend and colleague from the AFL, Pat Cunningham, who you may have read about. Pat was one of the original founders of Fight MND, along with Neil. And Pat's wife, Angie, was a professional tennis player and um, and passed away from, from MND as well too. So that, you know, having in my life, having been touched by those three individuals in particular, uh, you know, it was a great, it's a, it's a reminder that, that life is precious. And sometimes those little moments that we have every day that we take for granted, we shouldn't because they might seem in, insignificant at the time, but later in life, those are the moments that we look back on and say, gee, that was so special that we got to share that with that person or, you know, whether it was, you know, blowing out a, the candles on a birthday cake or, Running around the backyard with your nieces and nephews, or um, you know, playing in a a local tennis competition and winning a grand final, you know, all of those those sort of little things that you you kind of take for granted. Um, the conversations at the water cooler every day when you go to get your your pieces of paper off the printer and you bump into a colleague who you really admire and you sit there and you have a chat about what you got up to on the weekend. They seem like seem like little things at the time, but in the context of life, they're little big things. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, if we bring a bit more of that Neil Danaher type spirit into some of those everyday moments, then, you know, I think we'll, we'll derive so much more fulfilment and meaning out of the lives that we live. Yeah. And obviously, you know, his, your experience with him in that moment was a very vulnerable conversation and I know that authenticity and vulnerability is extremely important concepts and practices for you. What is the influence that you have seen? Because I know that, you know, you can particularly work in more male-dominated sports and, and areas. What is the impact or influence of authenticity and vulnerability on sort of performance and coaching that you've seen bringing these concepts into place? Yeah, well, it's 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 important all of the time, but it's even more important, I think, in in male-dominated industries. And what we're seeing now is that you know, male-dominated industries are kind of becoming a thing of the past, um, and that's a good thing. You know, we're we're seeing a lot more diversity in all of the environments I work in, whether that's sport or, or corporate environments. There's you know, diversity, there's inclusion, and then the the great organisations move beyond diversity and inclusion towards what we call allyship. You know, is, is actually not just having a diverse group of people that come together, but actually having people sort of pick up the baton and, and take responsibility for making sure that those people are not just there and that they're not just included, but that the, that the environment um, enables those individuals to flourish just like anyone else. And so I think even the, the kind of environments where there is still an imbalance of gender that's changing and, and I, I couldn't be more pleased about that because I think that the more, if we, if we take it the case of a, a sporting environment, if you have a young young boy, young man come into a sporting environment for the first time, you want that sporting environment to be a microcosm of society because if he's, if he's feeling like that environment doesn't represent the world at large, then he's going to form a different view of the way he needs to act and behave. So we need to try to create an environment whereby he can act and behave the way that he would be expected to act and behave if he was a part of a, a part of broader society. So, so that's the, the 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 first thing I'd say around that. And then I think you know it is it is probably part of that typical male stereotype is is to not show your emotions. It's to um, 
you know, to keep you keep your feelings to yourself um, is to not cry, um, you know, because that's weak, if you like, um, is to show that more kind of stoic, very alpha male type behaviour. And I think that's, you know, that was sort of the traditional stereotype around what it meant to be a man, but we're seeing that shift and change. And I think that that's a fantastic thing. Uh, there's some great organisations out there doing some terrific work in that space. Tomorrow Man, um, Tom Harkin and his team there, and then the Man Cave, um, Hunter Johnson and his team there, doing some great work in schools and um, surf clubs and sporting clubs and um, to, to redefine, you know, healthy masculinity and, and explore the unhealthy aspects of masculinity and then to really promote the healthy aspects of masculinity, encourage young men to kind of – rethink about what it means to be a modern man to be a man in in 2022 um and you know i think that that's you're nothing but a a real positive um so, so the storytelling work you know encouraging vulnerability is that it's okay to get emotional when you talk about things that are important to you uh, and you know when you, when you cry like crying is a often a an expression of um of or a build up of, of stress, for example, that sometimes you just need need to let out. And uh, and what I've seen is that in all of those environments, when you do get individuals who will will stand up and become emotional in front of the group, um, you know that th that actually builds a stronger bond between them and their teammates, uh, or them and their coaches, or them and the staff in the group, because they've they care enough about the group that they're talking to to share that with them. Uh, and vice versa is that the group cares enough about them to listen. Uh, yeah. And usually when that sharing is taking place, you can hear a pin drop, pin drop in the room because, because uh, you know, a lot of others will have had the same experience and wanted to share in that way but never had the opportunity. So, yeah, I think, um, I think we're seeing a real evolution in and around um, what it means to be a man uh, and what it means to kind of display healthy behaviour in, in a workplace environment, but particularly in a in a sporting environment as well too. So, um, yeah, any opportunity to reinforce those behaviours I think is a good thing. And you mentioned the power of listening, and I know that this is really important to you, you know, the, the idea of like we have two ears and one mouth, um, you know, there's a reason for that. Particularly during COVID, you know, there has been a lot of sort of pent-up emotion and stress for a lot of people. Um, and to my understanding, the power of listening can be ever so healing just in and of itself. You don't need to sort of be a professional in anything other than that to sort of, you know, to begin to build that human connection and healing with each other. Can you share more about the importance of listening in your line of work? Yeah, I mean, it, it's so an undervalued trait, isn't it? It really <laughs> is. The simple uh, ones that are most impactful are like the undervalued ones. It's really interesting. We always seek out complexity. Oh, uh, what well, they say, what's the saying? Patience is a virtue. I, I'm not sure what that <laughs> makes listening because yeah. it's one of those things. Often we, we use talking, we fill space because we're nervous. And right. I think that... Um, or because we don't, we, we don't, we're not willing to talk about other things that we should be talking about. So I think the power of listening is one element of it. The other element of it is actually asking great questions. So not just asking the sort of questions that we tend to ask every day and stay at that surface level of superficial questions about the weather or what you got up to on the weekend or, um, 
you know, uh, you know what's what was on TV last night, but it's actually forcing yourself to ask some questions that take you a bit deeper, perhaps, than what you've gone before with the individual that you're uh, you're, you're having the conversation with. So, if that's someone in a, a workplace sitting with a colleague, is is you don't have to not have those more superficial conversations, but you're looking for ways to deepen the relationships. So, how can you encourage more um, depth in the conversation? Uh, as well as more space just to listen. Because if you focus on listening and you do it well, you'll pick up on things that you've never, never picked up on before, you know, whether it's the body language or the facial expressions. Uh, there's a great term that they use in coaching, executive coaching circles called listening for potential. Uh, and I really love that because people talk about active listening as mm -hmm. if that's like the panacea. <laughs> but listening for potential is almost the level mm -hmm. beyond that. Now, listening potential is sitting there with someone who you may not have had the best relationship with or you may not have seen the best results from or you may not um, be particularly close with even, but you're seeing them as someone who is capable of so much. And when they're talking, you're listening to them and seeing the very best in them at that time. Um, and it, just like forcing yourself into that mindset around in this conversation right now, I'm going to listen for the potential of this individual. <laughs> I'm listening for potential right now. Rather than just active listening and taking everything in, I'm actually listening for potential. And, and I think that that as well too is a really kind of powerful mindset shift um, to practice with um, along with just paying more attention when you're in a conversation with someone. So, yeah, it, but putting more focus and attention on, on creating the space just to listen uh, and then encouraging yourself to ask deeper questions that um, take the relationship to another level. Um, and also thinking about where you have conversations as well too. Like I reckon sometimes we – I've seen big, big breakthroughs with leaders and their teams just when they think about having the conversation in a different way or a different um, form or a different place – so a lot of offices aren't set up to have great conversations. Yeah. You know, if if you're inviting one of your employees into your office to sit across the desk from you, you've already put something between you and them. You know, and that's a physical item, but metaphorically in the context of the conversation, it might create a blockage as well too. So, or a coach with a player, uh, with an athlete, um, rather than kind of inviting them into the office, like creating that headmaster school principal type vibe, are you better to just grab them and go for a, a walk to your local coffee shop and have the conversation on the way there? Uh, a lot of teams I've seen over COVID have started uh, weekly walks where even when they were in lockdown, they were going for a walk around their sort of local neighbourhood while they are on the phone to their colleagues for their weekly meetings. And I think that sort of stuff's great because, you know, too, too many office environments are very you know, clinical, sterile, boring, not always set up for – for great conversations, so um, that's something that uh, that we can think about too. Yeah. And we're speaking about depth here, and I know that you've been on your own path of self exploration. I think we touched base later last year, and it was just after you had done a multi stage ultra marathon um, on the Lara Pinta Trail. So I'm really excited, Shane. I want to hear more about this because on your social media, you described it as sort of being part of a journey of becoming me. Sort of what has influenced you to, to be on this journey? Yeah, it was a great experience. When I think back over the last 12 months, there, there was, 
you know, travel was very difficult, wasn't it, to get anywhere mm-hmm. in Australia. Uh, but we were very lucky that we had this sort of window there where there weren't no restrictions. And um, myself and a, a very good friend that I grew up with, uh, Scott, were able to fly over to Alice Springs and, and run the, the Lara Pinter Ultramarathon. So I think it was about 140 kilometres um, over the four days, my first multi-stage ultramarathon. I'm a bit of a bigger guy, Jenna Louise, so I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> Six foot three. I'm probably not built for ultra marathons like uh, <laughs> what you and many of your fellow runners are. But it, it was it was just a great experience. I loved it, mm. and we deliberately chose that event because we knew it would actually test us. Tested me much more than Scott because he's <laughs> he was in much better condition than what I was. But uh, I, I just felt like even with what I do, like I mean, I work in and around the high performance space, but I probably felt like I had got a bit lazy in certain areas over the last couple of years and and neglected my own physical mental health. And so that was my way of doing something for myself just to remind me of how great it is to be involved with things like that. Now, you don't have to go and run an ultra marathon because that's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, it might be just something as simple as getting back to the gym again or, um, you know, uh, learning how to dance or taking music lessons. But, you know, whatever it is for you that you do to stretch yourself, to grow, I think it's important to have something. And um, running for me is something I've always enjoyed. I've done a few marathons over the journey when I've travelled around the world and um, I've done a couple of ultra marathons recently, which I've really enjoyed. So that was fantastic. But the best thing about it, was the community that assembled yeah. over there uh, in Alice Springs. And I know you've done lots of these events and mm. you compete at a much higher level of this than what Not I really. do. But, um, <laughs> but uh, the p- people from all walks of life, isn't it? Like yeah, it's everyone, beautiful. And my friend Scott and my mate Scott, he uh, he coined a phrase, one of the songs we had a playlist that we'd trained to um, for the awesome. event. And one of the songs on the Spotify playlist was Reasons by Johnny Farnham. And oh, he put that song in there quite deliberately, not because it's just a great song, but because everyone had a reason to be there. You know, you had mm-hmm. some people that were there to lose weight. You had some people that were there to keep fit and healthy. You had some people that were there because it was the first thing that they'd done for themselves during COVID. Um, we had a, a friend that was there from from Echuca where we grew up, Jackie Welsh, who had um, uh, lost her, her son uh, in a tragic skiing accident a few years ago. So... Jackie and her husband, Leo. Leo follows Jackie all the way around Australia to all these different ultra marathon running events so that she can run in honour of her son, Jai. So everyone had a reason to be there and everyone's reasons were different. But when you come together like that, you create this community. Now, we didn't know all those people from a bar of soap a day or two prior and we only spent three, four or five days together. But I reckon if we saw each other around the corner or at a cafe or at a restaurant, We'd stand there and talk to each other for hours. It's like you feel like you've known each other for years. So, yeah, I think any event like that is great in that it brings brings people together. Uh, it encourages them to share stories. <laughs> we spoke about <laughs> it earlier in the session, uh, and and it's a great reminder of of everything that's great about life. Um, it makes you feel really alive and. Uh, it lit a spark in me and uh, we've signed up to do the Margaret River Ultra in May this year, uh, which hopefully the WA borders are open before then. Um, so it'll be a great chance to get over and uh, have a run around um, West Australian countryside as well too a bit later this year. What do you what do you love most about running, Jenna Louise? Well, I think everything that you've shared, Shane, 
particularly the multi-stage because I did my first single stage ultramarathon last year and I loved it, but it was a bit more of an individual experience. Um, the multi-stage, you know, you have your challenging experience throughout the day, but then you come together at night and you sort of form those stronger bonds that you're talking about, you know, with people that you don't know from a bar of soap to, to all of a sudden, you know, you see them down the street and they're like family. Um, there's something so precious about that. And I think that form of experience, like for anyone, whether you're experienced in this or it's your first one, it strips you down very quickly. And you find yourself as you said, sharing stories that you probably wouldn't normally share in your everyday life with people and it becomes so natural and normal. And I feel like those vulnerable conversations feed that deep connection that I think a lot of us in doing these form of experiences, we're yearning for that, we're seeking that. And I think there's so much power in being able to experience that but then to understand you know, how do I pull this back into my everyday life now? Because I think when I initially started, it was like, okay, I want to book another one because I'm really seeking that feeling again. But then it's kind of starting to be more accountable and responsible to myself that if I can feel that feeling out there with those people, I can feel it now. And it may be a deeper element of vulnerability, but like explore it, lean into it, see what happens with it. Um, So that's what I really, really enjoy about it. And I, you know, you say not, you know, ultramarathons aren't for everyone I am so of the I'm an advocate that like I feel like most people have at least one in them I truly do because so much of it is a mindset piece yes you have to train but I think for so many people particularly that lack that sense of purpose um you know or or lack that sense of sort of self-worth or self-understanding like get yourself out there and you really do connect with yourself, but by virtue of that, you connect deeper with others, which I think is really special. Yeah. Oh, I mean, for, for <laughs> what beautiful, beautiful words. So it just sums it up so perfectly. It, you mm. know, the, the benefits, the, the the beauty of it, and um, the the lasting impression that it leaves on you. Mm. I think that's the thing. Is uh, just the, the, there's something about getting out in nature as well too. I think oh, we um, we had uh, Richmond had their um, preseason camp last week, and we went up to the high country in Victoria, just up outside Bright, and um, for three three days, and it was just fantastic. And a big part of what makes it so great is the fact that you're outside, you're out in nature, uh, and you know, we're we're very blessed. Uh, in Australia to have so many fantastic landscapes that we can get out and enjoy and um, it's a it's a great way of enjoying those um, those settings is to to run and run a long way mm-hmm. <laughs> not necessarily run fast I certainly no. wasn't running fast for much of that distance but uh, in fact I was probably going backwards at different stages but <laughs> but it was enjoyable yeah and it's almost like a metaphor for life in a way isn't it like don't worry too much about what's behind you just worry about what's mm-hmm. ahead and just put one foot in front of the other and that sounds a little bit cliche but I think when you've done a long run like that, it uh, sometimes that's all you can do, isn't it? And I think it's so powerful in bringing this, you know, when you do those longer runs, life's challenges sometimes don't seem so hard because, and you know, because you think about like, you know, I was, I lent into something that felt bigger than me and I completed it. And even if you didn't finish it, like I know in, you know, ultra marathon running, there's sort of like a saying along the lines of like, you know, the most important thing is just sort of sort of being on the start line. Like that's the biggest decision that you can make. You know, if you finish, amazing, but to have the courage to kind of step up and be completely out of your comfort zone when you're on that start line is is such a big thing. 
Um, but I think, you know, you, you talk about the nature piece and I'm always someone that's so passionate about this because I truly feel like, you know, this element of human connection, but also just being out in nature is so healing in itself. I feel like, you know, we, these days, you know, next to everyone has some form of like anxiety disorder or depression or, you know, there's, it's, it's such a vast thing. And I feel like so much of it has got to do with the fact that we're just disconnected and it's about starting to bring these everyday you know, opportunities. We've got people around us. We've got trees around us. We've got beautiful birds, the sunrises, the sunsets. There's a lot of these things that are free to access in our everyday life that have sort of the answers that we are seeking. So, um, you know, that's another reason why I love the ultra marathon running because you are out in nature. And it's, it, for me, it's almost like a remembrance of, you know, home and where I'm from. And I think there is a lot of beauty in the reflection and connection of that. Yeah, oh, I, I yeah, could not agree more and could not agree more. It's, um, it's a brilliant thing. And, and not just to do it for yourself either. As it mm. sort of always offers up the opportunity to bring someone else along as well too. And that's what I loved about this event was it probably wasn't my doing. It was probably more Scott, my, my friend, uh, my mate Scott, and he'd sort of um, laid the foundations for, for, for the event because he'd been doing quite a bit of running himself knew I, I enjoyed it and so invited me on, along on a couple of runs and that was all it took just to sort of light the spark right. <laughs> for me to want to do more of that. So I think that that's a great lesson too is that sometimes we probably think we need the time ourselves, and that might be okay, you know, if you need to go and do that solo exercise to clear your mind, that's great. But if there's an opportunity to bring someone along with you, even better <laughs> because then they they get that benefit as well too. So. You know, I think, um, and such is true for life as well, isn't it? You know, like sometimes in helping others, we help ourselves, um, and I think that's a that's a great thing. And I think the follow on from that always tends to be if if someone is so thoughtful in in that sense of contribution towards you, I always feel like there is a, a natural inkling to want to pay that forward. And I think that's really beautiful as well. I'm sure you know whether it be in ultra marathon running for you or something else, you know. I guess your career is already based on this. So maybe in relation to ultra marathon running is like, you know, when you're feeling a little bit more confident um, with it or, you know, bring someone else into that space that may be slightly curious. You know, I, I tend to find these people that kind of ask a lot of questions and then they're kind of like, no, 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 that's not for me. And, but you can see if, if you really lent into speaking with them again and listening, hey, why do you think that's not for you, you'll probably find there's something under there that they're, they're actually, their curiosity can go a long way and you can help them get to that start line. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's very true. And we, we talked about connection earlier. I mean, the other, the other word starting with C that I think's just so powerful uh, is, is contribution. And, you know, I think that anything that involves giving back, you know, if it's giving back to someone else, giving back to, to the, the employer that you work for, giving back to the, the community, um, giving back to nature. Like that notion of contribution and giving back, I think, is really powerful. Uh, and you see so much of that, like the acts of sportsmanship over the course of a four-day multi-stage running event, like the, just the little things where someone runs out of water and they, they cark it in a ditch on the side of the road <laughs> and then you see someone running along who's just more than happy to stop and pull a Mars bar out of their backpack and hand it to them <laughs> so that they can recharge their batteries and go again. Complete stranger. It's just that it brings out the best in human nature. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about leaving space for listening before, but you know, maybe it's it's leaving a bit more space for, for contribution and giving back to others because 
if we're rushing around all over the place, then we miss those opportunities some sometimes. So um, yeah, it's 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 one of those ones where I, I reckon that giving back and contribution piece is particularly pronounced in those types of settings. But it can be something we bring to life every day. It doesn't have to be absolutely uh, over in the middle of the outback. Well, Shane, thank you so much for this conversation, and you know, thank you for being such a prominent figure in Australia in terms of you know building culture, building building that sense of connection, authenticity and vulnerability. It's something that I truly honour in you. So thank you. No, it's a pleasure, Jenna Louise. I, I, um, I love the fact that you bring a group of people together to, to share stories and conversations that might be beneficial or interesting to, to people who are that way inclined. And, and uh, that's a gift that you give to others. So yeah, more than happy to to contribute and I've, I've waffled away a bit over the course of today but hopefully there's a couple of things I might have said that, that could resonate with people so yeah I encourage everyone to continue on their own path and keep building their, their story as they move from chapter to chapter Beautiful So Shane on a final note I would love to ask you what does it mean to you to be human? Uh, to be human uh, well, I mean, reflecting on what we've covered, to be human for me is to be alive, I think. To be alive, um, to be a, you know, a living, breathing member of the, uh, the animal kingdom, if you like, or queendom of what we call life, uh, to experience the, the, the ups and the downs, the, the, the tragedies and triumphs, the, the agony and the ecstasy, you know, all of those things that go with being a human um, that that's what it means to me to be human I think and and also you know to to, to be kind um, to find a way to find a way of, of of giving back and doing your little bit to to improve improve uh, the quality of life of, of someone else um, that that's that's what it would be for me.